Hey guys, Debs here, and welcome to another episode of Debs Watchlist. Today, I'll be talking with two of my friends about romantic comedies. That's right, since it's February, love is in the air, tis the season for roses, chocolates, Valentine's Day, and of course, a good romantic comedy. So today, we'll be talking about not only romantic comedies in general, but also two particular rom-coms that we watched. One is To All the Boys Always and Forever, which is a recently released Netflix film, and also the 1934 film It Happened One Night, which is actually ranked the number one romantic comedy of all time on Rotten Tomatoes. But before we get to the conversation, wanted to give my guests Winnie and Tiff a chance to introduce themselves. So do you guys want to give a quick background as to who you are? Hi, I'm Tiffany. I'm currently a product designer at Startup in San Francisco. Um, in my spare time, I really like to watch action movies and romantic comedy. So really excited to share my thoughts on rom-coms with all of you today. So yeah, thanks for having me as a guest, guest speaker. Hi, everyone. I'm Winnie. I work in tech as well, but I'm based in New York City. Uh, typically, I actually like watching action movies, it's similar to TIFF, also kids' movies, an occasional rom-com, but we can also get into that a little bit later. Awesome. So thank you guys so much for coming on to the show. Super excited. So as is tradition, whenever I have guests, I like to warm things up with an icebreaker. And so since we're talking about rom-coms, the icebreaker question is, who is your celebrity crush? Ooh, celebrity crush. That's interesting. Hmm. I feel like I have my go-to, but it's kind of out of date because I don't think about this question that much. Um, so I would say Tom Hiddleston or Benedict Cumberbatch, especially oh. back in the day. I feel like they're so gentlemanlike. Um, I know that Tom Hiddleston, how I got to know him is through the Loki character in Marvel. But I just saw his interviews and he's super nice. I actually saw a Broadway play with him right before pandemic times and he signed my playbill. So that was really fun. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, yeah, I used to have this big crush on a YouTuber called PewDiePie. And then he's Swedish and he does a lot of online gaming streaming. And actually, I remember I did a day trip to New York just to like get to see him in like Barnes and Noble because like he has his new book and then I got to take a photo with him. But yeah, I really like watching his videos because he's definitely not doing it for the views, but he's doing it because he actually is really passionate about it. But yeah, I would say he's my celebrity crush. So we have Winnie who likes Tom Hiddleston, Benedict Cumberbatch, and then we have Tiff who likes, did you say his name was PewDiePie? PewDiePie, that's his, um, PewDiePie, yeah, yeah PewDiePie. YouTuber. Interesting. I thought you were gonna say Simu. Ooh. That's, yeah. Yeah. Maybe not maybe okay, that was a not, not a crush. <laughs> I mean Simu is pretty cute. Yeah, so. Simu is really cute, yes. Okay, so I guess appearance wise, he's people celebrity crush. Yes. Cool. Thank you for who's entertaining yours? me with your icebreaker question. Huh? Wait, who's yours, Deborah? <laughs> Mine? So I mean you guys know me. I'm all about the K drama guys. But right now, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I think the most recent Korean drama I watched where I really like the male lead is probably 
weightlifting fairy Kim Bok Joo. It's a drama from way back in the day, but I only recently watched it. And the main guy is Nam Joo Hyuk. He was also recently in Startup. And yeah, I think he's a uh, he's good looking. He's nice. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't nice. think I have any big celebrity crushes right now. I'm just like, ah, because most of the times I watch thrillers. So I don't think there's a lot of <laughs> opportunity for celebrity crushes and thriller and suspense where people are killing each other and trying to figure out who did it. So <laughs> <laughs> cool. So let's talk about rom-coms. So before we get into the two movies that we're talking about today, I thought it would be helpful for the audience to first get a sense of on a scale of one to 10, how big of a rom-com watcher are we? So with 10 being a lot, how would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 in terms of how much rom-com you've watched? I watch a lot of rom-coms, um, but I think, hmm, I'd say around six or seven. So for me, I think it's funny how like, people think I'm really into rom-com, but I'm just actually think it's like the easiest genre to like, get into or watch. Like, I think because there's so many cliches, right? And I feel like you can just predict where the story goes, but like, you know, the ending is always rewarding or like a happy ending. So I think it's really good to watch it to de-stress, especially after a long day at work. And I think it's really easy to be emotionally invested in the characters because that's what all rom-coms are about, right? It's just like character and emotional development between two characters. So um, I find that really relatable and fun to watch. What about you, Winnie? I would say four or five, maybe. I mean, I enjoy rom-coms, but I think sometimes it gets too much into the tropes. Um, and I feel like I haven't seen some of the classics. Like I was just thinking about it last night. I was like, I haven't seen Pretty Woman, for example, but I've seen like a few of like the Meg Ryan ones. Um, You've Got Mail, When Harry Met Sally, um, 13 Going on 30, not Meg Ryan, but like another rom-com. So I think I'm acquainted with the genre, but like not a huge fan of the genre. Yeah, I would say I'm also a five with a caveat because I think I watched the majority of my rom-coms in middle school when like chick flicks were the rage. Like my favorites were A Cinderella Story with Hilary Duff or What a Girl Wants with Amanda Bynes. But then I felt like because it was getting too cheesy, like I just stopped watching it. And also, I felt like the older I got, the kinds of rom-coms that came out would be a lot raunchier than I would like them to be. Mm. And so I just naturally didn't watch a lot of rom-coms after that. So I pegged myself at a five out of ten. But then that's more for Western rom-coms. If we talk about mm. K-dramas, if we include that, if we include Korean dramas and Asian dramas as part of rom-coms, then I guess it would be like a nine. That's funny, because I think for me, I've never watched a K-drama, which I think to a lot of my friends is shocking. I grew up with a lot of like, in the Asian American community, a lot of Korean friends as well. And they're like, wait, you've never watched one. I have watched Taiwanese dramas, though, but I think part of it is because I was interested in learning Mandarin. So it made <laughs> sense. Gotcha. So then it seems like you know, Tiff might be one of the people who has watched a bit more rom-coms than me and Winnie, but it feels like we're all kind of the same in terms of whether or not we're a huge fan of the genre, which is, you know, we watch it, but we may not necessarily be obsessed with it. Am I correct in assessing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
So to the listeners out there, you're dealing with people who have moderate knowledge of rom-coms. Like we've seen a few. And in terms of whether or not we like the genre, we're not obsessed, but we're okay with it. So definitely keep that context in mind as we now start discussing the two movies we watched. So we watched two rom-coms for this podcast discussion. And the first one that we're going to talk about is To All the Boys, Always and Forever. And for those who are not familiar with this movie, it's essentially the third installment in the Netflix series To All the Boys, which is based on a YA book series about this high school girl named Lara Jean, who's a hopeless romantic, and she writes love letters to her crushes. But those letters are not meant to be sent out. It's more for her to process her feelings. But of course, those letters get leaked. That's where the drama begins. And we have three movies about basically the consequence of that one thing happening. And so this is a a romantic comedy movie series. And the third movie, To All the Boys Always and Forever, just came out right before Valentine's Day. So have you guys seen all three movies? Yes, I've actually watched the first one like a few times, probably four or five times. <laughs> what about you, Tiff? Have you seen all three movies? Yeah, I have. And yeah, I definitely rewatched the first one a couple of times with like my other friends as well. Nice. So it seems like everyone liked the first movie. I myself also watched the first movie a few times. So it seems like we all love the first movie. What were your thoughts on the second movie? Oh, oh my God. I, I hated it. Yeah, I hated it so much. Yeah, I mean, I think the second movie was just more like Laura Jean, like, oh, should I pick the other boy or should I like pick Peter Kavinsky? What is going on? I'm not sure where my heart is. And I feel like I don't like that being the center of the whole movie. Like, I think there are much bigger problems that they can deal with. Like the third movie, they're dealing with college and like distance and what it means for their identity, right? And I think there are a lot more important or more relevant issues that touch upon third movie than like the second so i think in comparison the second movie just like looking as a whole it's really bad in my opinion yeah i think for me it's that trope of the girl gets to pick between two guys um i don't love that trope because a lot of times i struggle with the female character like just be decisive and i think especially with the first movie we see lara jean being very strong independent woman i mean she's you know a romantic at heart but still she knows like her values and she knows how to communicate and in the second movie you see it kind of unwind same with like Peter like Peter's character is questionable because of his relationship with Jen at that time so I think I struggled a lot with that movie also John Ambrose was such a great character like I feel like mm-hmm. he deserves so much more <laughs> even though I I love Peter John Ambrose come on he, he do- deserves so much more <laughs> it's funny because I I was listening to someone talk about the second movie into all the boys and they were saying basically you like the movie depending on which team you're on Peter Kavinsky or John Ambrose if you're on John Ambrose's team then you were not happy with the movie and it was a terrible experience (laughs) but I totally agree I also didn't like the second movie yeah it just felt boring for lack of a better word but the first movie I absolutely loved and like you guys I watched it multiple times And so seems like we all love the first movie. Second movie, we also all unanimously did not like. Then were you guys excited for the third one? What were your expectations going into this third movie? I 
had low expectations because of the second movie, honestly. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and usually I, I feel like every sequel is usually worse than the first, right? So that was definitely with the second movie. And the third movie, I was like, okay, like very low expectations at that point. Yeah, same here. And I'm I'm glad like they're wrapping up the series because I feel like the first one was just so good and like the second one was really bad. So the third one I'm just like hopefully like it'll bring it back to where the first movie was, but we can talk about that later on. <laughs> yeah, it's like after that sophomore slump, right? <laughs> You're just thinking, oh, is the third movie gonna be good? So now that we've all seen it, Maybe does someone want to first give a quick summary of what the third installment specifically is about before we jump into our thoughts about it? So the third installment is about Peter and Lara Jean. Well, their whole like friend group, they're in high school, they're seniors, and they're figuring out college decisions at that point. And so that's that determines, you know, what their relationship is going to look, look like. Will they go to the same college? Will they not go? This is a spoiler-free one-liner. <laughs> <laughs> so what were your guys' thoughts on the movie? What were your initial reactions right after watching it? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, even though the main plot is dealing with, like, you know, this high school love problem, right? But I feel like there are other subplots in the movie that I feel kind of not sure like why it was being shown. So I think in the beginning, like when Lara Jean and her family decided to go to Korea and then they're talking about their heritage, right? Or like Lara Jean was like, oh, I actually don't speak Korean. And they tried to touch on culture identity a bit, but I was like thinking, oh, is this something going to do with her decision with college or like how is this going to pan out with her relationship with Pierre Kavimi? But that's not really actually relevant to the whole plot at all. So I was pretty confused what that whole section is about. I swear they try to touch upon a lot of things or changes that would happen to Largy, but it was never fully resolved. It's like at the end, we know like, oh, they made their college decision. They made a decision on how they're going to handle their relationship after all. But I feel like there are all these little subplots that they should wrap up. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I liked the third movie. Definitely not as good as the first movie, but also comparing it to the second movie, like way better. It has its tropes, right? I think this is also like normal for like high school seniors to figure out what they want to do afterwards. Do they put love first? Do they prioritize what they believe their careers are going to look like eventually? Um, I do agree with the subplots, though. I do love the beginning, actually, of the movie, like when G by SNS and D came on. (laughs) It was such a throwback. I'm not Korean American, but as an Asian American, I feel like I'm well acquainted with that song. It's to the point where like pandemic is has been about nostalgia for me. So like I've been listening to like very old, like not very old, but like that kind of K-pop. The golden age of K-pop. The golden age, (laughs) yes. I do agree with Tiff, though, that there are subplots that are pretty rushed, but I'm also thinking about it in terms like the first and second movie. They did have like trinkets of like Korean culture in there in those movies as well, like the Yo cult in the first one. I think in the second movie, they're they're wearing hanboks. And then the third one, they just went to Korea. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that the book is a bit better with the details in terms of like the Asian American identity. I think the subplot that I most struggled with actually was Peter and his dad, because it was kind of a little bit forced. Like he was in the bowling alley all of a sudden. I thought Laura Jean was the one who like deemed everything, but she wasn't. 
So that was a little bit confusing for me. Yeah, for for those who don't know the storyline, basically Peter Kavinsky, his parents got divorced when he was really young. And so it was kind of sudden how in the final installment of the film, suddenly his dad is back in the picture and Peter has a tough time reconciling with his dad. Yeah, I think that was kind of sudden. But yeah, for me, right after watching the movie, I liked it a lot more than the second movie. But I agree with Winnie in that I don't think it surpassed the first one or even came close to being on the same level. But I will say my initial reaction, like my initial, initial reaction before I even started processing the movie was, I just want to travel <laughs> because they went to oh, Korea. Yeah. They went to New York. And I was just like, in here, I've been stuck in my room for almost a year now. I was like, I want to go to Seoul. I want to go to New York City and have it be filled with people. So my initial reaction was like, when is this world going to open up? I am going to go to Korea and I'm also going to go to New York City. I'm just going to travel the world because I was just like, oh, I miss the days when the world was open. I know. I felt that way. Yeah. So that was my initial, initial reaction. But yeah, I think for the film, I think there, I liked the problem that they were facing much more than what was in the second movie. Like the second movie, like to Winnie's point, just choosing between two guys and that wasn't very interesting. But I think the problem that Peter Kavinsky and Laura Jean have is actually relatable even if you're post-college, right? Because fundamentally the question is, can a relationship withstand physical distance? And in high school context, that's two kids deciding where to go to college. But I think that's also true for people our age like what if we get a job offer somewhere else right and that means we have to move like what does that mean for our significant others so I did like the problem that they were facing and like the kinds of things that they would need to figure out and I think the ending it was very cliche like you you know okay I don't think it's spoiling to say that it's gonna be a happy ending of sorts because this is a rom-com you have never seen a rom-com with a sad ending or else it wouldn't be a rom-com it'd just be a romantic film wait Winnie looks like she disagrees I was just saying 500 Days of Summer is like known as the guy's favorite rom-com at least back in the day all my guy friends were like that's my favorite one and that one doesn't end that nicely (laughs) that's true okay let me let me rephrase to rom-coms involving high schoolers Mm. usually always end on some kind of happy note like all the chick flicks with high schoolers involved usually it ends on a slightly happy ending note and so for for me that was where I just felt okay like it still felt kind of cliche I felt that it was an enjoyable movie overall still A lot of interesting things to think about. Whether the film tied everything up nicely is questionable, just like how you and Tiff said that there were certain parts that felt very awkwardly inserted or not fully resolved. I do think there were a few parts of that in there as well. Yeah, but I think also the ending, even though it was on a happy note, I don't know, maybe because I want, not that I want more, because I think to Tiff's point, I like that it ended, but you also just don't know if it pans out in the four years, right? I think to Lara Jean's point, it's like, it's life. It's not gonna end at the happy ending. It still continues. And I I do follow the stars. So the girl who plays Lara Jean and um, Peter, and they were in interviews and they talked about like, oh, like what would, 
they want to see as like a continuation. They're like, oh, we're not really sure, but it might be interesting to see them after college or like as young adult lives where, you know, maybe they did have a breakup, but they like rekindle, which I think is very like normal life. So I think it still kept you hanging, even though it was like a happy ending. How would you guys write the sequel? Do you think they're going to stay together during college? I think so. Like they might be on a break or something, but I do feel like they will stay together. Or I think at least for the sequel would be just how they deal with the distance or like, you know, start thinking about jobs. Oh, maybe one day one person will go, oh, you know what? I actually like explore myself and I decide I want to live another country. So like, do you want to come with? Just thinking more about responsibilities, not only to yourself, to your relationship, but also to your family and kind of figuring out the whole identity portion of it. So I think that could be an interesting sequel to it. Yeah, I think I agree with Tiff. It's either that perspective of you might see them go through breakups potentially, but we'll still figure out their ways to like get back together, um, not compromising all the time for their careers, but also maybe seeing a little bit more of that. So I could see, I could see that, or I also like that aspect of maybe like fast forward a few years. Um, I think Gilmore Girls kind of did that, but I I personally think they failed it. So maybe it'd be nice to do a successful one, but I also like to keep it at just a three. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, if this were to happen in real life, I actually don't think they will stay together during college because I just think they're going to have such different environments. And I don't think the problem is going to be distance rather than the fact that they're going to be in such different environments and that's going to shape who they are. Like it might because be because they're in such different environments that they start having different opinions on certain things or different fundamental beliefs that are core to who they are. And that's going to naturally cause them to drift apart. But if I were Lara Jean, if it was Lara Jean, who's going to be writing what happens next, I have the feeling it's going to be one of those fast forward things. Yeah. Fast forward to post-college. And I think they will be separate, but it's going to be the magic about how they suddenly are able to reconnect again and this idea of soulmate. I think that's how Lara Jean would write it. Like maybe, yeah, they do fall apart during college. They have a tough time getting over the breakup. And then maybe Lara Jean, because she's writing a book, has to go to some exotic place for inspiration. And then it turns out Peter Kavinsky is there doing something in that other country as well. And somehow they reconnect again, maybe. Maybe Lara will write about their love story and it becomes a bestseller. Oh, yes. And that's how they reconnect. He comes up to her at one of her book signings and says, oh, Covey, long time no see. Wait, that would actually be a really good. I think Lara Jean would like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's shift gears a bit and talk about it happened one night. And so for the listeners, some of you guys are probably thinking, what is this movie? Why did we choose it? So basically what happened was Winnie and I were having a conversation about rom-coms and we got curious about what the top rom-coms were of all time. So we went to Rotten Tomatoes and they actually had a list of the top ranked rom-coms of all time. And number one was the 1934 movie, It Happened One Night. So before we launch into a discussion about It Happened One Night, how many old Hollywood films have you guys seen before? Are you guys familiar with black and white films or was this your first one? 
this is my first one. <laughs> so it really set the expectation for me. <laughs> Were they good expectations? <laughs> uh, a lot to be discussed, yeah. <laughs> for me, I had to look up a list because I don't remember the last black and white film. I think 12 Angry Men were was on that list. So I have seen that one. And like, I was a communication major. So I did take some film studies classes. I've seen scenes of black and white movies, but haven't seen like a full one in a while. Got it. Yeah, for me, I've seen quite a bit of old Hollywood films just because my mom loves movies. So I think growing up with her, I watched a lot of the classics, whether or not I actually remember them or the details is another matter entirely. But I have watched a lot of these old Hollywood films. And actually, what's interesting is on that list for Rotten Tomatoes, like top 10 rom-coms of all times, the majority of them were actually old Hollywood films. It's like Philadelphia Story with Katherine Hepburn, Roman Holiday with Audrey Hepburn. I think the only few modern ones that I remember was definitely Crazy Rich Asians was in there somewhere. So Tiff said that this was the first black and white film she's ever seen. So I was curious, what what were your expectations going into it happen one night? And how did you respond to it right after it finished? Um, I didn't have any expectations, honestly. <laughs> I think with rom-coms, I always never have expectations because I think my goal is just to like, not use my brain power to comprehend the story and just enjoy the ride. Like feel all the ups and downs and like the emotions, if anything. So I didn't have a lot of expectation for this. Yeah, and then my reaction is, yep, my expectation is pretty correct. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, but you said you had no expectations, so you have no response to this film? I mean, I have, but I don't know, maybe like no expectation in a sense, like, oh, I don't think this movie is going to be a great movie. And for me, I thought it was enjoyable. Would I recommend people watch it? Um, If you're really bored, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, so... Just to give listeners some context on the film, It Happened One Night is a 1934 film directed by Frank Capra, and it stars Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. And fun fact, the movie actually won quite a few Oscars the year it came out, including Best Picture. So this was a very acclaimed movie at the time. And the story revolves around a rich heiress who is basically on the run from her father because he's trying to break up her marriage with a guy that he doesn't really like. And she's trying to get to New York to reunite with that guy. And on the way, she meets a reporter whom she falls in love with. And so it's a very typical screwball comedy. So screwball comedy is actually a subset of the rom-com genre that tends to, to take a more satirical approach to romantic tropes. And so, yeah, so Winnie, what were your expectations and your thoughts after watching the movie? I had little expectations. I mean, it's a 1934 film. So I think maybe my expectations were like, it's going to be black and white. It's going to be maybe out of date, maybe something that might not keep up with the times. And then watching it, I mean... It was okay. I think to Tiff's point, I'm not sure if I would recommend watching it. Um, I was trying to like research why it won all these awards because it was a little bit hard for me, but you were mentioning the banter and kind of like there was like the independence of like the female actor. And at that, at that time, that was also very different. So 
I guess at the time it made sense, but currently it it doesn't hold up, though it does have a lot of the tropes and rom-coms that we still see today. So basically for you guys, this would not be a classic film in your book. Doesn't stand the test of time. Mm, no, not at all. I think especially because the power dynamic that was being portrayed in that movie. I remember once in a movie where like Ellen, Ellen Andrews, right? Like she was trying to sit on the bus and then she took Peter Warren's seat and then he would just be like, yo, like that seat you're sitting is mine. And then she just moves away, right? Or whenever she tries to argue with him, he'll just yell at her. It's like, oh, shut up. Don't talk. And she just immediately obeys him. She basically throughout the whole story couldn't survive without his help. Um, I don't know. That whole power dynamic play out is something that I find it really hard to watch. I do think like if we're comparing this movie to all the boys, right? at least the power dynamic, it's more balanced in a way. And I feel like at least Laura Jean can make her own decision. Whereas in this old movie, Ellen just kind of can't make any decision without the guy. Yeah, I think to be honest, um, Ellen's Ellie. I think Ellie it's her Ellie, name too, right? yeah. Ellie. Yeah. I think what I struggled with her personally is that she is so indecisive, where she will contradict herself. Like she's like, "Oh, I can go to New York without eating." And then the next moment, she's like, I'm super hungry. I think in some ways, it kind of reminded me of the second movie in the To All the Boys I Love, because that's where I struggled with Laura Jean, where I was like, make decisions, like, you are strong. And like, she's not like, she's, you know, struggling a lot more than we saw in the first movie or third movie. Yeah, for me, it happened one night. I have seen a number of the older Hollywood rom-coms. So I kind of had a sense of what I would be getting going into this movie. And after watching it, it more or less met my expectations. My expectation was that it would be a bit ridiculous. Like some of the things that happened would be very out there ridiculous, but that's characteristic of the screwball comedy, which is what this film is categorized as. So I wasn't too surprised. But personally, do I like that kind of movie? It's a hit or miss depending on the movie. So that's why I just went in thinking like, oh, I I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think after the movie, it was, it was all right. I mean, I didn't particularly hate it, but I also wasn't a huge fan of it. And I think it's interesting how Tiff was pointing out the differences between the power dynamics between It Happened One Night and To All the Boys. And I also just thought about how this story would look like in present day. And honestly, I think it would unfold more like a horror movie than a romantic comedy. Like, can you imagine someone who has been taken care of all her life, who's very naive, on a bus to New York by herself? It's raining. It's pouring. Like, honestly, when she met Shapely, that really sketch guy on the train, I think a movie today would tell the consequences of that. Like the fact that Shapely is going to be this man who's going to keep harassing her. Like, yeah, and then sharing a hotel room with a guy that you've just met on the bus, like, that's recipe for a horror movie. Like, so actually, the entire time when I was watching this, I was like, hmm, I wonder how people back then thought about the story. Like, would they advise young ladies to think it's perfectly fine to get on this bus by themselves at night? Because I think just thinking about modern day, like, that's a recipe for, like, a thriller or a horror movie where the girl goes missing is usually how the story is going to turn out. 
That's hilarious. I've never thought of it that way. And I don't love horror movies, but the way that you explained it, I would probably watch it <laughs> more than the rich goes missing. And now it's like the reporters actually try to figure out where she went because he was the last person who saw her living or saw her on the bus. I feel like that's yes, what's going to happen. Me. <laughs> but yeah, but I was just struck with how yeah, things that were painted as very innocent or that lend itself well to a rom-com and it happened one night would actually be the very same ingredients that lend itself to a thriller or horror movie about me too, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think it merits number one on Rotten Tomatoes' best rom-coms of all time? Or what would you put as number one? Since it seems like it happened one night, kind of missed the mark for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I was telling Winnie, I was like, wait, why is this number one? I don't understand, like, how it's being judged. Do people really enjoy the plot? Why is that the case? So we're, like, all really puzzled. <laughs> yeah, I think... So there are a couple of things here. So I looked at how Rotten Tomatoes even created that list. And apparently there's also a bit of math that they did to adjust for time of when the movie is released, the number of reviews and things like that. So I don't know what exactly was the math that they did to have it happen one night be number one. But I think it's also one of those films that probably was a cinematic achievement of sorts mm. like just at the time. So it's more like a historical artifact that has a lot of significance and that's why it's number one. Plus to some people, it's also just a really enjoyable film and it might just come down to personal preference. Yeah. I think the hardest thing about film is that it's subjective right? It's not like math where one plus one is always going to equal two. Like you can't debate that. But for movies, what's good, that's always going to be impacted by one's own background, one's own preferences. And so it's very subjective. So yeah, I think maybe we just have very different tastes. But if you guys had to pick one movie, doesn't matter which one, to be on your number one for your top rom-coms of all time, what would it be? If you can't choose one, you can choose a few. I really like, um, what's called Crazy Stupid Love. Love Actually. But you also have to share why. Oh, uh, I mean, I just like, really like the fact that you actually not only focus the story on one couple, but you actually see like all the different types of relationship unfold, right? And not all couples have happy ending, but it's fine because that's just how life is. It's not all about like the fairy tale wedding or like all the glam. There are so many ups and downs, and like different characters have different ways of dealing with problems. And I feel like you just learn from all these different couples. Winnie, do you have an answer yet? So I guess like Crazy Rich Asians, but that one I loved a lot because I really saw myself in Rachel's character. I love that it went into like the inner depths of like family and what it means for two families to like merge together potentially. And also kind of like the intricacies of be being an Asian American. The majority of the cast is Asian, but at the same time, there's stereotypes against different types of Asians, right? Whether it's like classist, where it's like Rachel comes from a lower class versus a higher class. So I really enjoyed the dynamics and intricacies of that movie. And I guess to the other movies on my list, it'd be probably like movies that are relevant to me. So like 13 going on 30 was something that I really enjoyed because I think as a kid, I always wanted to grow up. 
And so seeing that in Jennifer Gardner's character, it was like, yeah, like I can't wait to grow up. And then she realizes like as an adult, it's not all fun and games. And that's how I'm feeling right now. In terms of Deborah, you mentioned about middle school days or like high school days, like a Cinderella story was definitely a classic for me. I loved Lizzie McGuire growing up. So Hilary Duff was like a natural fit for female lead. So that was also one of my favorites. Same. I think for me in middle school, Hilary Duff, she was my idol. So a Cinderella story was definitely up there. I also really, really liked Anne Hathaway. So Princess Diaries, definitely on there as one of my favorite rom-coms. Yeah. And then also The Devil Wears Prada, also on there, Mm -hmm. not only because of the great fashion, but it was just a guilty pleasure, a fun movie to watch. There are a few classical Hollywood films that I really like, all of which star Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn's probably my most favorite classic Hollywood actress, but she had this movie called My Fair Lady, and it's actually a musical, so it was really fun to watch. So I really like that one. And then if it comes to more recently released romantic comedies, I actually like Asian romantic comedies a bit more. And one that actually I really, really like is called Our Times. It's a Taiwanese rom-com, and the Chinese title is So more like my youth kind of thing. Oh, I love that yes, movie. that one was <laughs> beautiful. And, and the reason I love that one is because going back to my point about how I feel like a lot of rom-coms, I can't tell the difference between whether these are hormones gone crazy and that's why they're attracted to each other or if they actually love the other person for who that person is. But I think in our times... Oh, it's just so sweet, so pure, so genuine. And the ending, I'm not going to spoil it, but Tiff, did it, the ending made you cry? I know, I like cried. I was like, this is so sweet. That's how I envision love to look like. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Are there any last thoughts or comments that you want to share, either about rom-coms in general or about the two movies we watched? I just want to say, Deborah, thanks for hosting. And um, it's like my first time being like a guest speaker on a podcast. So it's been a really, really fun experience for me. And I really enjoy having this time to like talk about rom-com. Yeah, especially it was like Valentine's yesterday. It was like, wow, how fitting. We should all watch rom-coms and talk about it. It's like the best way to spend like Valentine's Day. <laughs> so yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was great talking with you. Yeah, I also want to say all what you said thank you so much for having us on the show this is also my first time doing a podcast so hopefully you'll edit that my voice so that my voice sounds good <laughs> enough a lot of pressure on me as a novice editor but i will try my best you got this, you got this. girl you got this well i hope you guys had fun thank you so much for joining me on this podcast As they mentioned, Valentine's Day was yesterday, so here's to hoping that Debs can edit this and release this before the end of February when (laughs) this is still relevant. But yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys also had fun listening to our conversation about rom-coms. If you want more movie content, feel free to find me on my social media or on my blog. Just search for Debs Watchlist and you should find me. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.